0: Acts 11, starting at verse 19. Now, those who had been scattered by the persecution that broke out when Stephen was killed travelled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, spreading the word only among Jews. Some of them, however, men from Cyprus and Cyrene, went to Antioch and began to speak to Greeks also, telling them the good news about the Lord Jesus. The Lord's hand was with them, and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. News of this reached the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he arrived and saw what the grace of God had done, he was glad and encouraged them all to remain true to the Lord with all their hearts. He was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith, and a great number of people were brought to the Lord. Then Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul, and when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. So for a whole year, Barnabas and Saul met with the church and taught great numbers of people. The disciples were called Christians first at Antioch. During this time, some prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. One of them, named Agabus, stood up and through the Spirit predicted that a severe famine would spread over the entire Roman world. This happened during the reign of Claudius. The disciples, as each one was able, decided to provide help for the brothers and sisters living in Judea. This they did, sending their gift to the elders by Barnabas and Saul. This is God's word.
1: Thank you. Thank you for reading. Uh, let me add my welcome. If we've not met, it, my name's uh, Matt Fuller. It'd be nice to do so at some point. But uh, if you're joining us today, we've been working our way through the book of Acts, and uh, here we are uh, in uh, chapter 11. Uh, for if you have been here week on week, wow, that's a short reading, isn't it? Uh, <laughs> compared to some. But let me lead us in prayer as we begin. Our great God and Father, it is interesting to read of the growth of the early church but much more than that we know you've uh, you're a god who speaks today through your word and so as we come to this little account of the church being planted in antioch would there be many things that we learn and indeed would you impress upon our hearts to live similarly for you we ask in jesus name amen so you've, really, it's about how to how to grow a church, this passage, uh, in the book of Acts. And you might be sat here this morning and thought, well, that's not my impressing issue. That's your job. Uh, I am not a Christian and I don't really care about the uh, the dynamics of such things. Or do you know what? My life is a little bit more complicated than that. Uh, you do your job. I'll get on with my life. And um, that would be a mistake. If I put it this way... Um, Imagine, imagine, imagine back if in uh, 2011 uh, you happened to uh, be rung up by uh, Sebastian Coe who says to you in 2011, now look, I have a job for you. Uh, I want you to help me deliver the Olympics uh, next year. You'll have to work pretty hard. Uh, in the year, and there'll be some ups and downs, no doubt. It's not all um, uh, plain sailing. Uh, they've written this documentary uh, with Hugh Bonneville, 2012. You can watch it. It's not all straightforward. Um, uh, but uh, if you do, if you quit what you're doing and come and work for me, if you do that, you will never regret it, ever. You'll be part of something phenomenal, you'll leave a wonderful legacy, and exaggerate somewhat, your name will be remembered forever. Now at that point, if you were given such an offer, uh, you'd at least give it some thought, wouldn't you? You'd have to pause and say, well, tell me a little bit more about that offer. You wouldn't just dismiss it out of hand and say, sorry, uh, my diary's busy this week, I can't be bothered to engage with you. Of course you'd engage. And um, it's a naff little comment, really, but Jesus says, I'm building my church. It's unstoppable. And at the end of history, not a lot else matters. Nothing matters in comparison. My kingdom, when it's complete, when it's consummated will be extraordinary. And you can have within it a legacy, and your name can be remembered forever. And therefore, to be part of that project is the most valuable thing you could possibly do with the whole of your life. Don't waste your life on small dreams, Jesus would say. Be a part of growing my kingdom. That is then uh, uh, what the book of Acts is all about. Jesus is building his church, it's unstoppable. Uh, And so you come to this little section, it's really in a a sense a calm between storms, but it's uh, about how you grow a church, or how this healthy church began in Antioch. That's key, I guess, a healthy church. Presumably there are all sorts of things you could do to grow an unhealthy church. You could make all sorts of promises to people that are untrue you could probably put on a very good show that people would turn up to and be entertaining. But it may not be healthy. I remember, uh, really, Martin Lloyd-Jones, was, some will know, but between really from 1940 to 1970 was a sort of dominant preacher in the whole of London. Everyone knew who he was. Uh, even everyone, you didn't need to be a Christian, just everyone knew who he was. Uh, but, you know, everyone on the, in, the, in the secular world, he's such an impressive dominant figure. Thousands and thousands would uh, go to Westminster Chapel uh, every week, uh, several times a week to hear him preach. And um, a very formal bloke. Uh, so always wore a suit and a tie, even on holiday. Uh, and there are pictures of him playing with his children on the beach in a suit with a tie. So he's that sort of generationally, you know, he was quite a formal man. Uh, one, I remember reading this one Sunday, he was preaching on what is a healthy church, and uh, he said, um, "I won't try and do. He was tempted to try and do an impression, but he it was I know there is one way. Without fail, we could pack this church out all day on Sunday, multiple services, and get 15,000 people or more in the church every week. Of course everyone sort of, oh, what is it? I could pledge that next Sunday, I would appear and preach in my bathing suit. It would be ridiculous, but many would come. Now, that would not be the same rhetorical effect if I made that promise. I'm not sure um, uh, huge crowds would flood in. I I don't have the sort of notoriety or well-known as a man who never wears anything apart from a suit or or even on his holidays. But uh, you get his point. You can do silly things and pack a church out. What's a healthy church? Three things uh, in this early church in Antioch that they had. That produced a healthy church. Let me try and keep it simple, okay? They had the Lord, they had the Bible, and they had to share. Very simple. They had the Lord, they had the Bible, and they shared. Let's uh, work through them. Uh, verses 19 to 21, they had the Lord, or perhaps you could say you've got to watch the hand of the Lord uh, to see a healthy church grow just turn back a couple of pages. Um, chapter 8, verses 1 to 4, because really we're picking up this gang. Lots of strands of narrative going on in the book of Acts. But uh, in chapter 8, all believers, the only place any believers are, are in Jerusalem. But chapter 8, verse 1, Saul approved of their killing. Uh, on that day, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem, and all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Godly men buried Stephen, Stephen mourned deeply for him. But Saul began to destroy the church, going from house to house. He dragged off both men and women and put them in prison. Those who'd been scattered preached the word wherever they went. And so we're picking up the story here in chapter 11 and verse 19. Now those who'd been scattered by the persecution that broke out when Stephen was killed traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, spreading the word only among the Jews. Jews. Now, so here's what had happened then. Uh, The only place that there'd be any believers was Jerusalem at the start of the church. Persecution had come. They'd feared for their lives. They'd scattered. And some of them find themselves in Antioch. Now, that's a pretty pagan place in the first century. Uh, The historians will tell us it's the third largest city in the Roman Empire, about 500,000 living there at the time. Uh, It's super affluent because it's a trading port and... um, uh, you get trade coming in from all sorts of different places, and therefore it's very cosmopolitan. It was known for, yeah, for its wealth. It had a four-mile-long high street paved with marble. It had the only street lights in the ancient world. So very affluent. But even the citizens of Rome, the capital, described Antioch as pollution and effluent to our morals. Now, coming from Rome, that's pretty strong as a claim in the first century. So it's a pagan, it's it's very wealthy, it's a debauched place. That's where they've arrived, could easily be intimidated, I guess. But they turn up there and very naturally, as uh, believers coming from Jerusalem, they speak first of all to the Jews. But then verse 20, some of them, however, men from Cyprus and Cyrene, went to Antioch and began to speak to Greeks also, telling them the good news about the Lord Jesus. It struck some of them. We've got this extraordinary message about Jesus. About how if you trust in him, you can be forgiven everything you've done wrong in the past. And your eternity in heaven is guaranteed. We can't keep this news to ourselves. We've got to tell all sorts of people. So, uh, even for the first time, then, these are, again, this is a church being begun amongst non-Jews, Gentiles. Now, there's no great strategy here, I guess, is part of the point. It's not as if they'd sat down in Jerusalem and said, well, we need to tell other people. They're just... Been forced out. God made it happen. They've got no great strategy for Antioch. They find themselves here and just start talking to people. So I guess the key element we're told is verse 21 The Lord's hand was with them, and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. The Lord's hand. And that's why the first international church of Antioch is planted. It was the Lord's hand. He decided it would happen. Which in one sense is just the point of the book of Acts. Jesus is growing his kingdom. It will happen. Jesus says, I will build my church. It will, no, the church of Jesus Christ will not primarily grow through human wisdom or human strategy or human pastors or human missionaries. They'll be involved. But Jesus says, I build it. It's my hand at work. And so for you and me, we don't always know why or where. But Jesus does it. It's just a reminder to us. It's his work. All credit to him. What do we do in response to the fact that it is his work? Well, three little things I would have thought. One, the most obviously, Christians must pray. If it's God's work that grows a church, then you have to ask him please, will you grow your church? That seems fairly obvious. That's about all we can do. To the one in charge of everything, can you do this, please? It's uh, famously told, Charles Spurgeon, in uh, the 19th century, he was the Prince of Preachers. This, again, uh, everyone knew his name in the 19th century. Um, the Metropolitan Tabernacle in Elephant Castle was built for him. Again, thousands became Christians under his ministry. Many people travelled to visit him and his church to say, Mr. Spurgeon, could you tell us the secret of your success? Why is it that so many people become Christians? And he always did the same thing. He took them down to a basement room in the church where, before, during... After every service, hundreds of people were on their knees praying. And he said, 19th century, remember? Trouble at Mill, that sort of time. He said, here is the powerhouse of our church. If the engine room is out of action, the whole mill will grind to a halt. Here is our engine room. We cannot expect God's blessing if we do not ask. And so, this is the Lord's work to grow a church. So, we ask, we pray. Two other little things strike me. One, you just try things. Uh, these Christians in Antioch, they had no great strategy. They just spoke to people. Um, you just try stuff uh, and see what happens. Uh, and thirdly, if it's not irreverent to put it in these terms, I, I guess what they did was they just they caught the wave. Now, it won't be a surprise if, if I say I know very little about surfing. My experiences and my engagement with that as a sport have been uh, limited. Uh, no one is offering me free kits to advertise uh, them. But this much I know in my uh, limited world of surfing you just got to catch the wave. And if you do it right, it's fantastic. And so you sit there and you observe here comes a wave. And you try and paddle and sometimes you catch it and sometimes you don't. Sometimes you don't even do anything. You just happen to be in the right place at the right time. And you really catch it and you go, whether you desire to or not. You just go and you fly off. And there's a sense in which, well, it ought to be irreverent, but in the Lord's wisdom, sometimes he just opens a door like here in Antioch. They find themselves here. They start speaking to people. And a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. And so they said, well, we must do something here. Uh, and they build upon it. And sometimes the Lord opens a door, as Pete mentioned earlier, you know, to be granted this opportunity in Harringay, I just think is a work of the Lord. Off you go. You just catch the wave. Uh, the strategic planning behind it, up until the last few months, was limited just catch it and go but it is the lord's work you watch his hand in the end we say lord the growth of any church is you all credit all glory is yours our church here any church it is the lord's work you need him to be at work That's the first thing you need to grow the church you need the lord And um, you must pray that he, we must pray he's at work. Secondly, uh, you need the Bible, verses 22 to 26. This is not complicated stuff, by the way, this morning. It's all fairly straightforward. Uh, Verse 22. News of this, of this great number of people turning to the Lord, news of this uh, reached the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he arrived and saw what the grace of God had done, he was glad and encourage them all to remain true to the Lord with all their hearts. He's a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith, and a great number of people were brought to the Lord. So, uh, news gets back to Jerusalem. The first international church of Antioch has been planted. It's the first Gentile church. It's been started without apostles, without any leaders from Jerusalem. And so the apostles, they think, well, what's going on here? We best send out a good guy to check what's been taking place. They send Barnabas. He's clearly one of their good guys. And he's thrilled to see what has happened. And wonderfully, when he arrives, verse 23, when he arrived and saw what the grace of God had done, he was glad and encouraged them to remain true to the church of Jerusalem. No. Encourage them to do what they were told from the center. No. He said, you must remain faithful to our denomination. No. He said, great. You just remain true to the Lord. Because here the church is is breaking out of Jerusalem. And Gentiles are planting their own churches. And there's no control centrally. That's not required. Barnabas says, remain true to the Lord with all your hearts. In fact, it's a very striking little phrase that gets used. He, uh, he encouraged them all. That's quite a significant little term, actually, in the book of Acts. Whenever a new church is begun, within a year or so, whoever's planted it goes back and always encourages them. Keep going. Just flick over a page is one example, a good example. Chapter 14, verse 21 it's uh, Paul and Barnabas again. Chapter 14, verse 21, they preached the gospel in the city of uh, Derby and uh, won a large number of disciples. Then they returned to Lystra, Iconium and Antioch. Here we are again, strengthening the disciples and encouraging them to remain true to the faith. We must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God, they said. You might think that's not the most encouraging thing you can say to someone. Let me encourage you this morning. You have many hardships ahead of you. Apart from when someone tells you the realities of life, that is encouraging. It's helpful. It keeps you going. You know, when anyone uh, when gets married here, we'll do some marriage prep and there's all sorts of practical things. But in essence, a lot of marriage prep is saying... Uh, it'll be a little bit harder than you expect. Um, when you live together day in, day out, and uh, a little bit of time is rubbed by, it's harder, you know? You kind of irritate one another. You realise they're not perfect. And everyone says, yeah, 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 very good, very good. Uh, and then normally about nine months after everyone's married, they say, can we do that marriage prep again? I think we really need it now. <laughs> That's normally how it works. Encouraged with the realities of life and here it is, Barnabas, here Saul, chapter 14, Saul, Barnabas, they encouraged the believers and I quickly traced the word through the book of Acts and whenever people become Christians there are always follow up visits to encourage because we all need that. whether we've been a Christian a day, a week, a year, 50 years. The encouragement says, keep going. Hardships come. It's not always straightforward. Keep going. Barnabas, though, he knew he needed a little bit more, uh, or rather the, uh, the church in Antioch needed a little bit more than he could give them. And so, verse 25, 26, then Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul, When he found him, he brought him to Antioch. So for a whole year, Barnabas and Saul met with the church and taught great numbers of people. The disciples were called, called Christians first at Antioch. So Barnabas thinks, well, I've told you all I know. Saul. He's a genius, uh, he knows his Bible really well, uh, former Pharisee, he's got his Old Testament off pat. Um, let me get him in. Now, of course, nothing here he said about precisely what they were taught, but you can read, I guess, in some detail, Acts chapter 20 is a long sermon that Saul, Paul, preached to encourage the church at Ephesus. It's the sort of model sermon in the book of Acts. Here's the sort of thing that I preached. And uh, let me just quote you a couple of lines, 20, uh, Acts 20, 21. Paul says, you know I've not hesitated to proclaim to you the whole will of God. I've declared to both Jews and Greeks that they must turn to God in repentance and have faith in our Lord Jesus. I, Whenever I went anywhere, says Saul, I gave people the whole counsel of God, the whole will of God. I taught them ev- the whole the whole Bible, all of the Bible. That's what people need to keep going. All bits, not the awkward bits. I gave them those as well, the lot. Now, for us today, maybe this seems very obvious to you, but therefore maybe I need to say it, because there's always a danger of taking for granted the obvious. To have a church, to grow a church, where people remain, what's the phrase, true to the Lord with all their hearts for decades you have to teach the whole counsel of God. You can get someone excited about Jesus for a year or five years quite easily, but to keep them and equip them for a lifetime where they remain true to the Lord with all of their hearts, you've got to give them the whole counsel of God. Can't miss bits out. Can't be selective. At all levels, at all places within a church, so it thrills me here from uh, different ages and stages. So with the children, that from two upwards, uh, they're not just being occupied so we can have some time uh, without them uh, and their noise. They're being taught the Bible, age appropriately from two upwards. I'm thrilled. 55, I think, from, from the evening congregation, come and, and serve in teaching our children. Do thank them. Uh, that's a wonderful thing. Teaching all sorts. The whole counsel of God teaching five-year-olds Ezra. Amazing. In our student ministry, we invest a lot of time and money in ensuring that a younger generation are taught the whole counsel of God so that they remain true to the Lord with all their hearts for the decades to come. Many of you will know our midweek groups that meet centrally A lot of effort goes into them. They have these prep sessions, they have the Bible studies themselves, which some of the older leaders sit in and give them feedback afterwards. It's a lot of effort that goes in because we want the Bible to be well taught and people to remain true to the Lord for a lifetime. And for many of us, you know, wanting to explain a little bit more of the good news of Jesus to our friends, well, again, we open the Bible. We might open... Luke's reliable historical account of Jesus Christ. It's the way that people become Christians too. And for all of us, as the cares and troubles of life accumulate, and they don't seem to diminish in number as the years go by. That may just be me. They seem to accumulate. You and I We need to keep growing in the word of God so that we keep going with all of our hearts, not just in neutral. To grow a healthy church, you need the Lord, 19 to 21. You need the Bible, verses 22 to 26. Uh, And lastly, briefly, you need to share, verses uh, 27 to 30. Let me read. First, we'll look at this slightly unusual feature here. Verse 27. During this time, some prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. One of them named Agabus stood up and through the spirit predicted that a severe famine would spread over the entire Roman world. And this happened during the reign of Claudius. And there was indeed a famine around 44 AD that decimated the church, well not the church, the city of Jerusalem. Now what's going on with Agabus apart from mentally I've struggled not to sing to myself Agadu during the week as I've thought about Agabus and that's just I know just a a feature of my generation. But um, what's going on with these prophets uh, arriving in Jerusalem? Well from chapter 2 of the book of Acts onwards it's obvious that every believer is a prophet in that every believer can speak the word of God to others. That's just part of being a Christian. You can share the word of God with those who are not and those who are. But also, it actually, you'd have to say it's clear that some are particularly gifted, especially so as prophets. And it seems in one of two ways. Uh, Some are gifted at predicting the future. So Agabus here uh, in chapter 11. Agabus again pops up in chapter 21 and meets Paul and says, by the way, Paul, if you go to Jerusalem, you'll be arrested uh, and uh, so don't go. And Paul says, well, thank you very much for that information. I will go and be arrested, and that's indeed what he happened. So you can ignore the wisdom of a prophet, as Paul does, but uh, clearly someone like Agabus predicts the future. I guess more commonly in the book of Acts, uh, there are those who are intense prophets for encouragement. So, for example, chapter 15, Judas and Silas are described as prophets who greatly, deeply encourage the people of God. And I think, biblically, that's the primary sense going forward in the New Testament area. Certainly certainly in 1 Corinthians 14, their prophecy is given for the strengthening, the encouragement, and the building up of the church rather than future-looking prediction. I think that's the trajectory. But look, that's not really Luke's concern. Luke's concern is in verse 29 to 30. What are you going to do with this knowledge, this information? Okay, so there's a church in Jerusalem that's going to starve. What are you going to do? In Antioch, verse 29, the disciples, as each one was able, decided to provide help for the brothers and sisters living in Judea. This they did, sending their gifts to the elders by Barnabas and Saul. Tangentially, looks like the church is being normalized. There are elders now in Jerusalem rather than just apostles. But verse 29, I guess, is the, is the key bit. The disciples, as each one was able, decided to provide help for the brothers and sisters living in Judea. So this Gentile church that has grown out of the Jerusalem church, they say, well, we need to show our solidarity by sending back resources, in fact, you probably have to say there's a sort of mutual sharing in both directions here. So Antioch sends money to uh, Jerusalem, but Jerusalem had sent Barnabas to them and encouraged Barnabas to stay for a year. I guess also the, the, the church at Tarsus has been involved. Uh, they've sent their best Bible teacher, Saul, to Antioch. They've let him go. That would have been a cost. Because all of these churches are... More concerned with the growth of the kingdom of God than they are with their own ease. And that's a good thing. It's a lovely thing. They're more concerned with the growth of the kingdom of God than their own ease. And so verse 29, they give each as they were able. That of course is a slightly slippery phase, phrase. Uh, each as they were able. Well, I got, what have I got in my pocket? I got a bit of a pocket of shrapnel, probably two quid maybe in change. Here I am. That's what I'm able to give. Well, you could probably, if you thought about it, give a bit, but it's a slightly slippery phase, isn't it? Each as they were able. Well, I've got to buy my, uh, uh, my three houses before I'm able to give anything. Well, you know, maybe you don't need three. Maybe one's a right to live in. Uh, you know, there's that sort of, you know, that sort of whatever it is. You know, I need my five cars or seven cars, one for every day of the week, and now I'm able to give some money away. Yeah, whatever. Um, We can all fool ourselves. I was struck this week reading Stephen and Anna Griffiths' their latest prayer letter. You know, they're um, currently in uh, Brazil, uh, raising up missionaries to go to Southeast Asia, which is their concern. And I don't know how many people receive it or get it. This week they were in. Right very much in the north of Brazil I don't know how you pronounce it, I'm, I'm sure I will get told later uh, Syria, Syria state, Syria, Syria state. Anyway, they described it as uh, basically Brazil's equivalent to the Aussie outback. It's red: "There ain't nothing there. You have to really scratch out a living. It is hard. And yet, millions of people still live there by tradition. And they were staying with one Christian family, and um, uh, in their house, uh, they, they didn't have any glass on the windows, they just had these this nets, and uh, there was a bit of wind, and so sand was coming through the nets into the window, and it was, you know, quite unpleasant. Uh, they weren't exfoliating by choice, they were just uh, by, uh, uh, by default getting this in their faces. And uh, Steve said to them, uh, not, you know, a number of the houses around here have glass. Uh, you haven't got glass in your in your windows. Um, why is that? Uh, and the guy said, "Glass is a luxury. We don't need it. We don't have it." Oh. Oh. Uh, that's got a challenging level of what is need and what is desire particularly when it's zero degrees outside. I'm not sure I fancy netting uh, in the UK. But it just, you know, we just need to think about how we calibrate what we need uh, and what we're able to be generous with. I read some Churchill in the week. There's loads of Churchill around, isn't there, with uh, the film most recently out. But uh, this was, I thought, one of his good bon mots. We make a living by what we get. But we make a life... By what we give up. He's a shrewd bloke, was not he? We make a living by what we give. Excuse me. We make a living by what we get. But we make a life. By what we give up. Our lives are shaped by what we give away. Time. Money. Resources. here for Jerusalem and for Tarsus' people. And some things are easier to give away than others. In all honesty, I'd rather give away thousands of pounds than say goodbye to the gang who are going to Harangay. Much easier to give away money than people. But that's what you do if you're concerned with the kingdom of God, rather than your own pleasure, I guess. And so we give away whatever, thousands of pounds to to see the growth of the church in Rwanda, in Mozambique, in Belgium, because that's a good thing to do. And we want to see Bible teachers grow the kingdom of God elsewhere. Every year we try to encourage some of our very best Bible study leaders and small group pastors to give up their employment and become ministry trainees and then leave. And we invest a lot of money into the ministry training scheme. And then say to people, right, now you can go, now we've invested in you. And I hope that's always in our DNA, because it's a concern for the kingdom of God. We make a living by what we get, but our lives are shaped by what we give up. Money, people, time, ease. The kingdom of God grows when we share these things. So there we go, that's how this church was planted in Antioch. To have a healthy church, to grow a healthy church, they needed, they needed the Lord, they needed the Bible, they needed to share. There are lots of things you could add, but here in chapter 11, it was those. And in one sense, I don't suppose it's very surprising. The Lord Jesus Christ, he came to earth to die for people like you and me, so we could be forgiven and share his kingdom. And so we keep teaching the Bible. We trust his hand at work. Because he says, I have given so much and I share so much so you can be with me. Yeah, you want to give your lives to that project. How you grow a church, you need the Lord, you need the Bible, you need to share. Let's pray. Let's pray together. Almighty God, our Heavenly Father, thank you for this little vignette then, this look at the first church planted in Antioch. Thank you that your hand was at work uh, and that the people there were wise, they discerned that, they taught the Bible to the early church, they were very generous generous in their sharing. Father, would you work amongst us so we are similar? We long to see your hand at work. So that many, many, many know and of course understand and more than that respond to the good news, the wonderful truth about what Jesus has done to invite them to join his kingdom forever, a legacy that lasts. Would we commit ourselves to that work, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.